Episode 16, welcome to the show. Hopefully you checked out last week's episode with Matt Brown. We had a great discussion about the importance of love and truth as we witness to others and as we are Christians on social media. And if you'd like to support what I'm doing with this podcast, would you consider one of three options? Or you can do all three if you're feeling generous. The first option is Patreon. I have a link in the show notes. You can support me on Patreon for as little as $3 a month. goes a long way. You can also sign up to the Facebook group, Everyday Discernment Podcast Community. And you can leave a review or share with a friend. I would appreciate one or all of those things to help me keep doing what I'm doing. But let's be honest. You're here for my interview with Jonathan Rumi. That's coming up right now. I had such a fun time, and I feel honored to be able to talk to him. Welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. This show is about you and your walk with Jesus as we grow in discernment together so that we can make better daily decisions that honor God in all we do. We will align all things against the Bible and give you practical steps to run your Christian race to win. And now your host, the discerning dad, Tim Ferrara. Well, welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. I'm super excited today to be here. I am with Jonathan Rumi. You, if you have seen the Chosen series, you definitely know who he is. He's an actor. He played Jesus in there. And he's with me today. So before we go into anything else, welcome to the show, Jonathan. Thank you, Tim. It's an honor to be here. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. First. You know, like everyone, I, I didn't know what The Chosen was, and I saw it and, and blown away by it. And, and we're going to definitely talk about that and uh, as much time as we have here today to go into some as much as you can share. But before we get into all that, just let everyone know a little about yourself and, and so any personal info you'd like to share. Yeah, I'm, uh, I've been out in California 10 years. I'm from New York originally. Um, I'm also uh, uh, I, I was a bit of an illustrator back when I was in school. I still dabble from time to time. Uh, I'm also a musician, uh, okay. a drummer, percussionist. Occasionally, I'll I'll sing. Um, I was in a band uh, till about uh, for about four years till about 2017, and we traveled around the country for a bit. Um, wrote some music, played a lot of music, and um, that was a fun phase. And uh, yeah, about a year after I got back from touring. Uh, the chosen came and knocking. So um, <laughs> that's pretty much been my life for the last couple of years. Yeah, that's awesome. So, what is the history of you being a Christian? What positive influences have you had in your life? How long have you uh, known Jesus? Had a relationship with Him? Um, I was baptized as a baby, so I've always had uh, the presence of God and Christ in my life um, for as as long as I can remember. Um, my parents are both um, pretty active and faithful Christians, and and uh, you know raised me with a with a healthy fear of God. Yeah, um, and my sisters and I. Um, uh, yeah, and and uh, I think you know uh, I went through most kind of um, lukewarm phases as young young people do um, when you know uh, independence sort of takes front and center in your life when you're like exploring the world and figuring out who you are and, and where your priorities are at, but, uh, it never left me. Um, awesome. so it was always there. And then I think as, as I've come to, uh, struggle as an artist, uh, especially leaving New York, coming to LA, uh, right at the, the height of a, um, of financial collapse back in 29, 2009, 2010, 
Yeah. Um, it was uh, a lot of that was about just putting my faith in where I felt I was meant to be uh, and then struggling for a solid eight years trying to do that very thing um, until uh, until I completely let go and, and surrendered it all and, and vowed to uh, to kind of let God take the reins, whereas I had been doing my darndest to to keep everything, you know, under in, in my control and in my grasp. Um, up to that point, um, I just kind of hit my, uh, I hit my limit where I realized I, I, I couldn't do it on my own anymore. And, and I had professed a certain level of faith and surrender, but I, I realized quickly in this one moment on a Saturday in May that I, uh, in 2018, that I, I hadn't quite committed in the way that I needed to. And once I did that, everything changed. Three months later, I got cast in the chosen and, and, uh, and it's been uh, a quite um, a phenomenal voyage um, and continues to be. So here I am. That's amazing. Uh, I think back to when you said your parents had a healthy fear of God and my, my parent, my, my dad was a pastor. And, and so I grew up mm. a, a PK. And uh, I think back to when they used to say, uh, whenever I would tell them something, they'd always say truth before Jesus. And that was kind of the caveat where, okay, I can't lie at this point, because if I say anything that's not the truth before Jesus, then you know, I, I had the fear that, I don't know, I, I don't know what would happen, but you know, it was just funny back yeah. then how they used that to kind of get me to tell the truth. So. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I, I don't know if it was as pronounced or as, as um, prescribed in, in my case, I think it was just, um, it, it was just sort of like, you know, really having the understanding that like, you know, God is in charge of everything and, 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 Everything that we do have has consequences for everyone else we come into contact with, and and how important it was. Given that you know we grew up even in just a, a basic middle class um, society, that you know even even knowing that we we weren't at the on on the higher end of the spectrum uh, financially, that we had more than so many other people uh, growing mm. up in this world, and so that we had to remember that and, and, and respect that. That's good. So how did you get started in acting? Um, I went to film school. I always knew that I would be in the arts somehow. Um, and then when I got out of school, I, I, I needed a job. A private art school prepares you uh, in, for, for the life of an artist um, and necessarily means that you're not exactly prepared as, as to how to make a living when you come out of art school. <laughs> Um, thereby full, you know, being a self-fulfilling prophecy of starving artists. You're like, wait a second, what do I do now as a film <laughs> major? Uh, you know, I, I wasn't the genius that uh, the world doesn't see me as the genius. I thought I was as an artist, as a filmmaker, that movie I made didn't get into the student Academy awards and I didn't win. And I don't have a career now as a, <laughs> as a director at the age of, uh, 22. So I got to figure out how to work in this business and do something. So you know, like you do, you, you, you call up your friends and see who's working as a, as a PA, as a production assistant, uh, a gopher, basically, in, in layman's terms. And you try to just um, do your best to survive and, and make, you know, friends and, and build relationships and just get in the industry. It's like that in and of itself is, is a miracle to achieve. And once you get there, you're like, okay, I'll just do whatever. Uh, yeah. And for most people, that's how they get into the film industry. And then that becomes, you know, they, they find a track and then they ascend that ladder and have careers as things as in positions that they 
they didn't necessarily plan. Um, so for a few years I worked in art department. I, I was, um, what they call a set dresser or set decorator. Um, so if you've got a set that has all sorts of stuff hanging on the walls or, you know, fabrics or furniture and stuff in the room, um, the thing that the actor isn't physically using in a scene, all that stuff is called set dressing. Uh, if if I grab this in a scene, this is now called a prop, and this goes to a separate department, uh, run by overseen by a separate union from the set dresses union, the art oh, the, wow. the art directors union. Yeah, it's all <laughs> when you get into like unions. I mean, there, there's everything is a different union. You know, the light yeah. that goes on the stand are two separate union. You have the lighting union. Well, it's the same union, but two different yeah. departments. So you oh, have the lighting department. You have the grip department. Same thing with art department. So. I was a set dresser for a couple of years. I worked on a lot of um, seminal hip hop videos in the late nineties, early two thousands. And then I got a job on a movie as a location assistant, which is a location PA. And I really liked working with those guys and having a steadier amount of work um, than just a couple of weeks here, a couple of weeks there. This I could get on a job for two months maybe. Um, and that was great. Uh, while I was doing that, I decided to take a stab at um, voiceover work. Uh, I was always a really good mimic, uh, and I can do I could do you know celebrity voices and stuff like that at the time. And and there was a show on MTV called Celebrity Deathmatch, in which these clay animated celebrities would fight each other in a ring. Yeah, I and that. they needed <laughs> yeah they needed people to uh, to sound like those celebrities. So I literally wrote to the casting director like a letter. And she actually responded to my surprise and, and said, uh, I said, hey, I do impressions. I'd love to audition. And she said, hey, why don't you call this number? It's like a hotline. And then you leave like a recording of your best impression. Um, and I probably did like a Brando impression or something like that, which <laughs> is what I, I knew really well. I was just, I was very much into Brando, especially around that time after college. And, uh, and then I started, she started booking me for, for shows and I did three seasons of that show. And that was my introduction to acting. Awesome. Uh, eventually that led to commercials and then that led to agents. And then that led to a couple of little TV parts in New York, a couple of, um, movies, some small parts and bigger films. Uh, films that I also happen to have been a location scout on. I would always say, "Hey, I'm I'm also an actor," and I would drop off my my headshot, my eight by ten photo with my a resume, which had nothing on it, but I had some stuff like in voiceover. <laughs> yeah. So they were willing to say, "Okay, well, we'll come audition," and uh, and I booked a couple of jobs that way. That's and then cool. I decided to move, come out to LA. Start I saw you over. played uh, John's John Wilkes <laughs> Booth. I saw you played that. Played yeah, him. it was the, the second movie I ever did in a movie called Saving Lincoln. Awesome. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was great. I had a really good time on that film. It was really um, a bit of a challenge and, and uh, really interesting learning about the politics of the South and, and, and uh, trying to make a, a guy that's widely considered a bad guy uh, justified in his actions because bad guys never really think they're bad guys. They're, they're just fighting for cause that the majority of everybody else disagrees with so right so i usually ask people this as an icebreaker but i'm definitely curious being that you're in the industry but what's your favorite movie of all time that's an impossible question to answer <laughs> I yeah um, it's like picking your favorite child yeah uh and i don't even have kids so um <laughs> yeah that, that'd be hard to say uh 
I mean, I, I, you know, I just, for instance, I just watched the other day, I caught um, Indiana Jones in the last crusade. I hadn't seen that in years of Steven Spielberg, Harrison Ford. And that movie still holds up. It's yeah. so good. Um, yeah. Early, early Spielberg stuff. Um, anything with Daniel Day Lewis pretty much I'll watch is, is just fantastic. Definitely. Um, speaking of Lincoln, they, they collaborated on Lincoln and oh, uh, cool. yeah. So I noticed a lot of video game voices in your career, some big titles too. I was surprised cause I'm a, I'm a yeah. gamer myself. That's how I like to unwind. Is there any oh, game cool. you particularly like to play or, or a project that you enjoy doing the voice for? Um, I think that one of my favorite projects was one of the first games I did here in Los Angeles, uh, which was a, a game that was kind of panned called Lost Planet 3, but it mm. was a really, a really, it was a fantastic story and a, and a, a really well-written characters, but I think the gameplay didn't live up to gamers, um, you know, uh, expectations, yeah. but I got to play about 10 different characters in that, but the, oh, wow. the main one was this French guy who was like one of the bad guys for most of the game. Um, named La Roche. And so uh, I got to do motion capture for that, which is really cool. Um, I did some work recently on uh, Ghost of, Shish- of uh, Tsushima. Yeah. Um, um, and um, that was pretty cool doing some samurai stuff for that game. Um, also, uh, I had some fun on uh, God of War uh, 4, mm-hmm. uh, which, was, uh, which was pretty cool. Um, Fallout Four was awesome. Um, yeah, I played. I played a couple of those games, but I, I find I don't spend enough time where I'm completely comfortable with the consoles yet. And it's yeah. like just as I start to get comfortable, they kind of well, they don't shift that much, but like the, the technology shifts a bit. And I also n- no longer find myself with as much time because I'll just get sucked into it now literally play for six hours straight and like where did my day go i've got so much i need to do yeah um why did i do that exactly. <laughs> so i just i kind of stick to like now voicing them and i'll collect the ones i can get that i've done just to have them um and then every so often i might dip into them and i started playing spider-man you know again recently i, I wasn't in that but um yeah um you know, it's one of those, the newer games, well, not so much new now, but one of the games that I had that I picked up recently where I was like, it's another one I could just get lost in the world and just, just noodle around in the world. You know, I don't even have to do the game. It's like yeah. just how fascinating and how well mapped out these, these worlds are. It's just, it's incredible what, what the, the realism and the detail. Yeah. It's almost like an escape, you know, just come home and, you know, spend some time in another world. And like you said, yeah. if you don't, if you don't uh, have some discernment about it, then you're going to be lost in, uh, in time. And I've yeah. definitely, definitely looked down before and been like, Oh my goodness, <laughs> it's 3am and I got to get to work tomorrow. The time go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, let's jump right into the chosen. First of all, it was an, an amazing sure. series. I'm so excited Thank to you. see more from season two and, and even to rewatch it again. And mm. I've heard so many positive reactions just from people I know in my small circle. And I'm happy to see all the good reviews published as well and it has a 9.8 out of 10 on imdb which is i'm, yeah. I'm sure that's unheard of you it's never pretty see phenomenal yeah and so uh what have the, been the reactions that you've received personally and, and did you know how when you were making it how special it would turn out and I, and I ask that because you know a lot of times when your head's in in a project no matter what it is you're not you're not sure how it's going to be received and i'm sure you kind of had the same thing or did you just kind of know like hey we're on to something here this is going to be awesome 
I mean, I felt when I first read the scripts, I knew that there was something special. And I had worked with Dallas three times before on three separate occasions before for shorter projects. Uh, and even then they were really um, just emotionally moving and beautiful projects to, to work on. So I went into the process uh, when he actually called me to tell me that he was doing a series and, and being fortunate enough to get the call that he wanted me to, to, you know, to, to work on it. And, and that I didn't have to re-audition for the part. <laughs> I yeah. didn't have to win the role again because sometimes oh, that happens. And you know that as actors, you you when you've been doing it long enough, you you don't really take anything for granted, no matter what the past has dictated. You just don't know all of the scope of what's going on behind closed doors and behind you know with with executives and with you know what the people putting the money forward uh want to see and and in which case you know we were crowdfunded so luckily that that didn't affect us as much in this situation but you know you just just not knowing i didn't take anything for granted so i knew we would get at least four episodes done and i said you know yeah for four episodes i i'd, I'd love to, to to try my hand at this again and and uh I'd been playing Jesus for about five years and a number of different projects at that point, mostly local stuff like passion plays and the, the jobs I did with Dallas. And then one other project that um, uh, I had done the first one I had done six months before I met Dallas. And so, um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I, I really found myself just grateful to have the opportunity to, to even, you know, tackle it again. Uh, yeah. And so reading the scripts, and seeing how beautiful it was, I thought if we can even capture 50% of what the scripts are communicating on an emotional level, like we'll be in really good shape. Uh, and then we exceeded that with the way everything turned out with the music, with all the other actors that were involved. And um, when you're making it, you're not actually thinking like, I wonder how this is going to, you kind of know it's going to affect people. Yeah. We had a little bit of those conversations on set like you know because we would shoot a scene and you could just feel the presence of the spirit you know kind of working through the words and through the, the words taken from scripture and the gospel and 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 approaching it with a sense of reverence and and you know holiness for the characters is something that everybody you know uh, ostensibly happily contributed to to uh the in this work environment so um, we kind of knew that it was going to touch some hearts, but uh, you can't really anticipate how how far reaching uh, and on what level of um, at what level at what depth you're going to touch people. And the feedback that we've all gotten and, and myself as well is very singularly is just uh, it's nothing short of awe inspiring and, and purely by the grace of God, you know, using me as a as a conduit for the spirit to to touch people and to to um you know really um energize something that is within them already so it's been um it's been phenomenal that's amazing so i didn't even know you played jesus for for five plus years you know in other roles um yeah. so what, what was your mindset going into playing you know the most influential and greatest person of all time on film, you know, I, I imagine it's intimidating and, and sometimes the weight of the role can maybe be overwhelming, but I'm not, I'm not sure, you know, what, what, how do you go into that and kind of balance all those emotions? Yeah, it, it can be. Um, and there was one moment when we were filming episode six, where it actually caught up with me when I started to 
um, really start, uh, started to preach um, parables to the crowd at Zebedee's door before the paralytic is lo or lowered in through the roof. Yeah. Um, for anybody who has, hasn't seen, we cover that parable uh, in episode six, uh, among other things. And um, as I started to preach Jesus's words, uh, you know, it kind of dawned on me, like the weight of this all of a sudden hit me like a ton of bricks and I needed to like catch my breath for a second. And I, we were moving at a pretty brisk pace because it was mostly about getting the reactions of the people outside the door, listening to what I was saying. But I didn't feel like I was doing what I needed to be doing. So I, I, I needed to, I needed to express that to Dallas and he was gracious enough to give me the time to, to listen. And, um, I, you know, I had a bit of a breakdown where I was like, I, I, I just, I, I'm having a hard time. And he's like, why? And I said, I, I don't feel worthy to be saying these words. Mm. And, and he put his hand on his shoulder and he said, listen, man, none of us are worthy, but we are here right now telling this story to bring this to the rest of the world. So people can understand, you know, yeah. just it, what it is that he meant to the world. Some version of that, he said to me. And, um, and so, yeah, that, that really kind of, uh, took the weight off of myself. And, and, you know, you also have to be very spiritually attuned to the, to what's happening and the energy that goes into creating a project like this and all the things that will try to work against you and prevent you from bringing Christ's message to the masses. Oh, yeah. Um, so, uh, I was in constant prayer, um, you know, before every, you know, every scene, every day, you know, the first thing I did was find a church. When I got into town, we were shooting in Texas. So I found a local church. I'd go to mass whenever I could. I'd receive communion. I'd go to confession just so I could be spiritually purified, just like literally and physically um, as emptied out of, of myself as possible to allow just the clean kind of conduit for the spirit to work and, and, hopefully elevate um, what was on the page through my performance and, and be able to, you know, reach people and touch people. In, in yeah. It's really good. I won't watch uh, episode six again without thinking about that. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So is there an actor who played Jesus in the past that you looked to or admired or, or looked to for inspiration when you started playing Jesus? Um, you know, it's it, admired. Yes. Inspiration would suggest uh, sometimes where, you know, I, I'm trying to base a performance on somebody else's work, which is is never should never be the case for any actor playing any part that's been sure. played by another actor. Because, you know, it's it's like it's like me, you know, wanting to look at a, a Warhol or a Picasso and paint my version of a Warhol or Picasso. People be like, "What are you, are you <laughs> trying to paint a Warhol or a Picasso?" Be like, "No, this is my style." And they're like, "Well, clearly it's not. It's a Warhol <laughs> or a Picasso, and it's not nearly as good. So why don't you do your own style?" It's the same right. thing as with acting, you know, it's, it, 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 when you look at it as an art form, uh, you know, there's so much of yourself that goes into um, a performance that said, uh, inspired by uh, Robert Powell from the miniseries Jesus of Nazareth in 1977 had a profound effect on me as a child. Um, even from the tender age of 10, 11, 12 years old, when they would air the uh, in the eighties, when I growing up as a kid in the eighties, they would air that every Easter uh, now, maybe on like TNT, you could still probably watch it every Easter still because it was just so good. Seeing that left a profound uh, impact 
on me um, in, in that I remember one year, I probably was 12 years old when I had seen this, the miniseries one Easter season. And I was so moved by um, his portrayal of the passion and the road to Calgary, to Golgotha, that I, I uh, after watching it, I, I went outside in my backyard. I, I got a couple of two by sixes. I built a crucifix, like a, a life-size crucifix for a 12-year-old. Mm. Um, I hammered nails into the, the boards where the hands were and where the feet were, and I painted blood. And I literally processed around my backyard, <laughs> walking around until yeah. I got to my garage and I planted the cross against the garage. I put a cinder block to hold it upright. And I would stand on the cinder block and just slide my fingers in between the nails and pretend I was on the cross. What's your As parents say? I don't know. I don't remember them saying anything. And I'm wondering <laughs> why didn't they say anything and how did not the cops show up Yeah. after like saying, what's your son walking around with a first century <laughs> Roman torture device? Uh, what's going on here? What's, what's, what are his influences right yeah, now? So I need an intervention um, or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was pretty impactful. And I, I always, um, I love the, uh, the kind of mystical majesty that he brought to, his characterization. Um, and as well as, I mean, and Jim Caviezel, I mean, you can't ignore Jim Caviezel and the passion. Uh, I mean, his, the pain he went through was literal in much of that film. Uh, and then the flashbacks pre crucifix pre, you know, uh, passion were, were beautiful. I, and I, I would want to have seen more. We have the, um, a sort of an unfair advantage of having time at our, disposal in a series so that we can explore those things and and really get into what his personality might have been like what it was like to travel with disciples what first century life was like on the road as an itinerant jewish preacher um all these things we get to explore in a way that hasn't been done before so i feel so um supremely blessed and and grateful to to be uh, the guy that gets to do this for a living that's so cool. Uh, one of my inspirations was Bruce Marciano. He played uh, mm. Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And I remember growing up watching that. And it was it was cool, first of all, because it was like every verse of Matthew was played out. And they didn't, you know, add anything to it. And just kind of what he brought to the role, I never saw kind of a Jesus portray that type of joy and and uh, charisma, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, it's been a while since I've seen the Gospel of Matthew. I got to go back and look at it. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. So I love how Dallas uh, tells of how they took very seriously the interpretation of the Bible into writing of the script. And even though, you know, it's not word for word, it's not intended to be. And the beginning of Chosen even points people back to make sure you read the Bible. And I I love that when I first saw that. And and Dallas even tells of how his wife would have discernment in, in meetings or watching scenes that they needed to change based on promptings of the Holy Spirit. So can you share how it was working in this maybe godly tension of, of staying true to the Bible, but also expanding on the characters and the situations of the time? Um, you know, that's more of a question for the writers because I, I really didn't have um, participation in that part of the process. Uh, in, in so much as I could contribute through my performance um, with maybe some stuff that wasn't necessarily written on the page Sure. Uh, but always, you know, the basis for everything that I would do uh, that's not on the page is, is rooted in who do I perceive Jesus to be? Sure. Um, who is he as it's written here? 
does that line up with my idea of who Jesus is? And, and it, and it did, and it does. And if it didn't, it, it might've been, I might not have been the guy that he would have wanted to play Jesus, you know, for this series. Um, but we've, you know, Jesus has been our sort of connector for, for six years now. Um, five, when we started filming the chosen. Um, but you know, as, as, um, friends that that's, that's what brought us together. And, it's because we have a shorthand with regards to these stories and the characterization of Christ as it plays in his stories that I think it works well. Um, you know, I read a lot. I, I read the Bible a lot. I also read a lot of uh, extra biblical materials and sources from um, theologians and scholars and priests and, and, and people that um, are not only looking at the um the the divine nature of Christ and the philosophy of Christ, but also the humanity, the uh, sociopolitical implications of Christ as a Jewish preacher living in occupied Israel, Roman occupied Israel in the first century. So there's so much that comes into play. There's so much that we don't know. There's you know because the the, the gospels themselves differ in their perceptions of certain accounts uh, because a lot of it was oral tradition transcribed into Aramaic, into Greek, into English. There's a lot that we, that we kind of miss in translation. Um, one of my favorite books is uh, Jesus, a pilgrimage by father James Martin. And he kind of takes the, the setting of his first pilgrimage to Israel as a way to kind of map out combination of all of those elements. You know, what was the divinity? How did it uh, uh, root itself and how, how was it situated in, um, the the social culture of of Nazareth at the time of Galilee, you know what was you know the economics of the town of Christ growing up in a backwater village, you know of Nazareth. Like, how did that affect his choice of uh, wording and messaging within his parables? Mm. You know the the yeah. the the examples that he used specifically you know, the rocky ground, the fertile soil, the thorns, the weeds, like you could go at the shores of the Sea of Galilee and see all of that stuff right there and talk about that stuff. And the people would look down and be like, oh yeah. And, and, and he spoke to people with what, you know, regarding what they were familiar with. He met people where they were at in their lives, whether it was the call to Simon, I will make you a fisher of people, you know, whether it's, you know, talking to shepherds, peasant shepherds, using, you know, sheep as, a, as a, an analogy. He always met people where they were in their, in their lives and, and really tailored his messages accordingly. And that, I think, is what's made him so effective. So to kind of understand all of that stuff going into, you know, filming and, and, uh, and telling his story, for me, just makes it easier to, to have a sense of reality and a sense of humanity and a relatability, if that makes sense. Absolutely. That's great. And, uh, you know, people can't see it, but I'm rocking the chosen shirt. Uh, yeah. If you're I on almost the YouTube, wore mine. I'm like, yeah, ah, that'd be a little bit too on the nose. <laughs> yeah. But I, I wrote a, I wrote a, just a blog post about it. And then the marketing team at chosen was so nice to send my wife and I a shirts. And it's funny cause oh, she beautiful. got, she got the shirt that says, get used to different. And yeah. we're like, this is the perfect shirt for 2020, <laughs> you know, get used to different <laughs> yeah. with everything yeah. going on. But um, that. what really struck me about the, the series was how, you know, it's, it's focused on the disciples and it's supposed to be focused on them, you know, the chosen and how 
you know, sometimes I've read the Bible and, you know, heard how they instantly left their nets. And I'm like, oh, well, that's cool. You know, they follow Jesus right away. But what was the implication of that? What was the culture of the time? What was, you know, impacting them, their marriages and their finances and Roman oppression and the dream they had of the Messiah coming and, and what they thought it would look like and what Jesus actually came as and, and how there was so much at play besides just, you know, instantaneously following him. And even though they did, it's not that they weren't human and dealing with all these emotions. And so that really struck with me. And what are your thoughts on, on how that was conveyed and also what it means for us today when we choose to follow Jesus, what parallels are there? Uh, you know, I, I think it's, uh, it's just as hard now as it was then. Um, you know, maybe even more so um, when religion, I think in the culture is, uh, is kind of shunned or looked down upon or thought to be a, an oppressor as opposed to a liberator. Yeah. Um, you know, like in, in Jesus's day, you know, the, the government was the oppressor, the, the religion was the liberator or had the potential to be, um, the Messiah would be the liberator, you know, like you, we don't have that same dynamic here. Hence my hat, you know, I mean, it, you know, <laughs> this, this idea that, for me, like make America holy again. I saw this hat and I was just like, I got to have that because it's, it's uh, for me, this represents this idea, even with just with this silly little hat represents this idea that um, there's something that we, we no longer have in the culture. That's no longer permissible, you know, by modern standards. Um, and so to even espouse the ideas of, faith as it relates to uh, an improvement to society is is completely countercultural you know um i'm in in the cancel culture i mean you look what people are trying to do to religious statues you know in, right. the, in the church desecrating and beheading statues because there's people are seeing it as an oppression it's like it, it's it's crazy to me if they if you actually dig into the lives of the people who these statues are are honoring, um, they were actually liberators themselves of, yeah. of, of captors and stuck up for indigenous peoples and, and like saved indigenous peoples from horrific things being done to them by other governments that were in this country, for example, but I'm not going to get super political, but um, yeah. there's just a, there, there's this um, complicit um, will to, to ignore or, or just sort of disavow any kind of tolerance when it comes to faith or religion. Um, and so, you know, I think now more than anything is where we have to stand our ground with our faith um, and not be afraid um, to be people of faith. That is not to say we should go around smashing people in the face with Bibles. Right. That's not the way to do it. There's compassion, there's love, there's mercy there's cool headedness, there's calm, there's dialogue to be had. Yeah. Um, there's turn the other cheek. There's everything that Jesus instructed us knowing we would be facing what we're facing now through the Sermon on the Mount. It tells you everything you need to know. Just take the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, apply it to today. It still works. There's exactly. a reason why it still works. So, um, but we have to be bold. Um, my, my, my whole thing, I, I was, I was, doing this public prayer uh, hour that uh, every day for about three months up until uh, recently when my schedule just got a little kind of wonky. 
Um, and the, one of the main, you know, concepts that came out of it to me, for me was, was the, the need to be bold, but more important, importantly, to be humble mm-hmm. and to lead with love. Mm, that's good. If you, if you're leading with love in every action and encounter you have, well, you're following the model of Christ, no matter what it is, no matter what that person says or believes, if you lead with love and you're humble, you can still be bold. You know what I mean? So, um, and, and that's, that's how I think we're going to, to win the souls back that and, and just praying for people, praying Mm -hmm. desperately for people. Wow. That's so good. Amen to that. Yeah. And humility is not just being, you know, weak or or coward in a corner. It's mixed with love and truth. Like you're saying, you know, speaking the truth, but also in love, having the mix of it, because, you know, if you, if you just speak truth to people and don't have the love, it comes across harsh and and people just get turned off to it as opposed to leading with love. Like you're saying and mixing in the truth uh, that will impact people's lives and, and change them. And maybe they don't even realize it, but planting those seeds and letting the Holy spirit do the work. Awesome. Well, I have to ask you about season two of chosen and whatever you're willing to say about it. So, uh, you know, generally so much. (laughs) Yeah. So what is one thing you're, you're looking forward to being back with the cast and crew again? And is there any particular Bible story coming up in the gospels that you're especially excited about, you know, playing out? Um, I don't remember how much Dallas has talked about publicly. Uh, Chances are there'll probably be a healing of some kind. Okay, there uh, we go. So that's that's always <laughs> that's always uh, Jesus always got some healing up his sleeve, I'm sure. Um, yeah. But the thing I think that um, one of the things I'm really excited to explore is the the furthering of the interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, seeing more um, disciples um, at some point. You know, I yeah. don't know how many. Um, and, uh, and also getting to, to work in that phenomenal set that we have, mm. uh, it's just incredible. They, they released where we're going to be filming in Utah and, uh, the set that we're going to be filming at is just, uh, it's, it's nothing short of epic. It's awesome. absolutely epic. And I, as a location scout, I, I worked on $250 million movies, you know, years ago at yeah. like money was no object we don't have that kind of money not even by long shot but the set that we got it it was uh, an absolute miracle of god and a gift and it's it's one of the most impressive sets i i've ever seen even in photos i haven't been there yet but uh, i can't wait to get on i mean it's just immersive it's huge and it's just a recreation of first century jerusalem uh, which doesn't exist in its present form in Jerusalem itself and Israel because of, you know, 2000 years of evolution and building and architecture. So um, this is probably as close as people are going to see a a recreation of of what Jerusalem would have looked like in Jesus's day. So I'm super stoked about that. (laughs) That's amazing. I like the, uh, the interplay between the disciples and I'm looking forward to John and, and Peter would often be competitive and John would say like, he's the fastest one. And, the one who Jesus loves the most. And I, I'm curious if that ever comes out. That'll be funny to see. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have, I couldn't tell you at this yeah. point. We've got, we've got, I think seven seasons in total that are planned. So, uh, oh, wow. I'm, I didn't realize I'm that. curious. Yeah. I'm curious to see what's going to happen where. So, yeah. 
Awesome. Well, I want to finish our, our conversation talking about the Hallow app you created. Um, just talk about that real quick, you know, why you created it and what you hope uh, people get out of it. So, uh, so just to clarify, I did not create the app. Okay. I'm uh, featured on the app. Gotcha. Uh, Hallow is a prayer and meditation app. It's kind of like a calm or a headspace, but for prayer. Okay. Uh, and uh, there's something there for everybody. What I love about it is that it's ecumenical. There's stuff for Catholics, there's stuff for evangelicals, there's stuff for non-denominators, there's, there's something for everybody. Uh, and it, it allows you to have, um, to build a, a consistency uh, of, for prayer time um, and, and as well as open you up to all different kinds of prayers that, you know, you might find effective that you maybe have never tried. I, I'm featured on it for a, uh, a sleep story. So I think... Um, Matthew McConaughey did a sleep story for one of those other meditation apps. Uh, mine is is geared, of course, with prayer in mind, mm-hmm. uh, reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Um, and fortunately, uh, most people, uh, when they put it on before they go to bed, most people can't stay awake through it, which is perfect. That means it's <laughs> doing its job. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so you get to hear me narrate the Gospel of uh, Matthew. Um, and funny enough, uh, approaching uh, some of the material that may be crossing over for the chosen for this oh, cool. uh, this coming season. Yeah. So if someone says they fell asleep listening to you, you're not going to take it personally. <laughs> no, I'm actually I'm I'm that's, good with it. Yeah, that's the point of it. Awesome. Exactly. Well, cool. That's the end of our time, and I, I really want to thank you for coming on and and just uh, give you a chance to anything you want to plug or, or where people can connect with you online. Yeah. Um, Thank you for having me. It's been uh, such a wonderful time together here. Um, you can find me on uh, Instagram. I'm at, at Jonathan Rumi official. Uh, same thing on Facebook, facebook.com slash Jonathan Rumi official. Um, anything else is not me. Uh, okay. There are some fake profiles up there. Uh, stay tuned to some more collaborative stuff uh, with Hallow. We've got some other uh uh, things in the works, which I think people will really, really enjoy. So I encourage you, oh, if you go to a uh, hallow.com slash Jonathan, you can find, uh, you can get a, you can try the app, the full version of the app for 30 days for free. Um, and then you can hear all my sleep story stuff. So hallow.com slash Jonathan and, uh, awesome. get a taste of, uh, a wonderful, um, wonderful new arsenal to, to your prayer inventory. So, very cool. And if you haven't yeah. seen The Chosen, what are you waiting for? It's free. Download The Chosen Come on app. Now. If you uh, if you can, it's it's crowdfunded. So if you can if, put any money towards it to help further this project, um, even if it's buying the DVD, which I did, and be able to give it out, um, definitely consider doing that and bless this ministry and this uh, project because uh, of what they're doing is is just amazing. And so, uh, thank, thank you again. Yeah, Jonathan. we're trying to get yep. we're trying to get a billion views billion views by the series and so we we're at 50 million so we've got a long way to go so people can pay it forward and send out or send out dvds i just sent out a dvd to, to a good friend myself recently so yeah there's lots of ways to check it out but it's super easy download it for free app store google play and uh yeah and find me and say hello and thank you so much tim for your time today there you have it god bless you jonathan thank you again
That's going to do it for today. Thanks for joining me. Hopefully you enjoyed the conversation. We'll love to hear your feedback on it, along with any questions you have about discernment. I may be picking some of these questions for future episodes that I can discuss at the end of my interviews. And for next week, I'm joined by Paul Lewis Cole. He's the son of Edwin Lewis Cole. He runs the Christian Men's Network. He takes over the mantle given to him by his father, and he talks about what that meant for him and how he had discernment with a big decision like that and how God has blessed it. So I definitely hope you listen to that. Join me next week. Subscribe, like, and share, and I appreciate you for being here. Until next week, go with God, grow in discernment, and keep your eyes on Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. For more information on Discerning Dad, go to discerning-dad.com. Be sure to follow on all the social media platforms. Just search for Discerning Dad. Please share this podcast with a friend and leave an honest review on whichever platform you listen. Feel free to send any comments, suggestions, questions, or prayer requests at discerningdad at outlook.com. Until next time. Keep fighting the good fight.